Welcome to another episode of Our Opinions Are Correct, the podcast that traveled backwards in time from the distant future on a tachyon-infused RSS feed. (laughs) I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer. My latest work is the Unstoppable Trilogy, Victories Greater Than Death is out now, and the sequel, Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak, comes out in April. And I'm Annalie Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction, and my latest book is Four Lost Cities, A Secret History of the Urban Age. And it's all about what archaeology can tell us about why people abandoned ancient cities. And that book is out in paperback now, and it's so awesome. Go get Four Lost Cities. It's so great. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about going back in time and just messing around. You know, a (laughs) lot of versions of time travel in science fiction insist that it is impossible to change the past at all, but we love to prove them wrong. Yes, we do. Why are so many people, like, resistant to the idea of being able to rewrite history, and why is it just so much fun to prove them wrong and to go back and make changes? To find out, we talked to Terry Metalis, the showrunner of 12 Monkeys, and the second season of Star Trek Picard, and Keto Shimizu, showrunner of the incredible Legends of Tomorrow. Also, on our audio extra next week, we'll feature more of our exclusive interview with Terry Metalis, including more of his comments about season two of Star Trek Picard. If you want to find out more about why Q has such a special relationship with Jean-Luc Picard— You only have to throw us a couple of dollars at patreon.com slash our opinions are correct. And by the way, did you know that our patrons get audio extras with every single episode? What? Plus essays, reviews, and access to our elite VIP Discord channel. Wow. all amazing. (laughs) And it can be yours for just a couple bucks a month. This podcast is entirely supported by you the listeners. So anything you give us goes right back into making our opinions even more correct. That's right. Once again, that URL is patreon.com slash our opinions are correct. Now, let's go ahead and jump into the timeline. So I want to start off with a big warning. There will be spoilers for all of 12 Monkeys, a show that's been finished for a while now, and every episode that's already aired of Legends of Tomorrow in this episode. So there's And there's no real spoilers for Star Trek Picard. But if you're behind on either of those other shows, you might want to jump off now. Okay, so there are, are a lot of people who insist that when you go back in time, you will not be able to make any changes to the past because it would create too many paradoxes. These people say that if you do manage to visit the past, whatever you do will always have happened, so you'll only be part of the status quo rather than having the power to change anything. Or, as the doctor puts it in the 1964 Doctor Who story, The Aztecs. But you can't rewrite history! Not one line! Although, of course... Doctor Who doesn't really stick to that idea of an unchangeable past for very long because being able to change the timeline makes for more interesting stories. 
So how does that work, going from an unchangeable timeline to a changeable one? We actually have a really good example of that because, you know, the movie 12 Monkeys, which is based on the French short film La Jetée, is all about not being able to change the past. Bruce Willis goes back and cannot do anything to alter the events that have already happened with the plague and his childhood self Mm -hmm. and everything else. He's just doomed to kind of go through the motions of what's already happened. But when Sci-Fi decided to turn 12 Monkeys into a TV show, the producers very quickly decided that their version would have a changeable timeline, as showrunner Terry Metalis explained to me. It just felt as though... If you were going to write that story as a television series, you would need to write it all at once and then go shoot it. You know, you'd have to have every moment mapped out, and that's virtually impossible to do. But it also just, it left you without any surprises, you know, when you can't change time and chances to reinvent the show. And it just felt like, that was going to be the core struggle with just because you you can change the past doesn't mean you should. I really like the points he makes in there about there not being any room for surprises because with a timeline that is set in stone, the only surprise can be how things happen, not what happened. And of course, not everybody was on board with the idea of changing 12 Monkeys into a more malleable timeline. Among hardcore fans, you know, you know, on social media is like, oh, you missed the point of the movie was was something that that I, I would read a lot that was tweeted angrily to me. And it's like, no, I I did not miss the point. So wait, why are so many people pissed about this? You know, a lot of fans really love closed loop time travel and it can be done in super well. Some of the most famous time travel stories have an unalterable timeline, such as Robert A. Heinlein's All You Zombies, which we've discussed on the podcast before. The TV show Lost expanded the notion that whatever happened, happened. And it can't (laughs) be changed. What happens in the past stays in the past. (laughs) Pretty much. And the past is basically a done deal. And that kind of story is very kind of like, it's like a puzzle. It like fits together neatly and it's kind of cool. And the first Terminator film also kind of has a very closed loop where Kyle Reese goes back and just becomes part of the events that have already happened. But then Terminator 2 ends with the timeline being changed, thus proving, as Kyle Reese himself promised us, There is no fate but what we make for ourselves. (laughs) You know, when I was researching my time travel novel, Future of Another Timeline, I started out by talking to a couple of physicists, Adam Becker and Sean Carroll. And my idea was that they would know how time travel would work and that they would explain the scientific operation of time travel to me. And they both very gently said, no, there's no time travel. And if you look at it from the perspective of physics... You just can't go back in time and change anything. Um, It's just not something that can happen as far as we know. Adam Becker actually added that, you know, in a very kind way that, look, time travel isn't a scientific device. It's a literary device. So when we see it cropping up in stories, we're definitely in the realm of ideas and fantasy. Time travel is something that we should treat more like a cultural or emotional journey, I think. Um, It's not ever something that we're going to be able to describe in scientific terms. And that's why I think it's so useful for storytelling. Um, And it raises all these questions about storytelling. So my question for you right now is, what happens to a story when you change the past 
And it leads to branching realities or new universes, the kind of classic multiverse. Right. You know, every time you go back and change something, you're just spawning a new universe. And the universe in which the original thing happened is still there. It's just that you've shunted into a new path. And, you know, it's certainly one popular idea, but Terry Metalis felt like that gets rid of a lot of the stakes. I mean, it is interesting to look at something like Avengers Endgame, which... Uh, they did their time travel in a way that you could have your cake and eat it too, where they they could change that particular timeline because of infinite quantum universes, which was something that we discussed early on in in the writer's room with 12 Monkeys is, is that the kind of time travel we're going to do? And we ultimately said, no, we need to stick to this timeline because then your stakes are infinite. If there's an infinite number of universes, it's hard to care about any one because it, it all works out in quite a few of them. Okay, so what's the advantage of having a single changeable timeline from the perspective of storytelling? Yeah, what Terry Metalis found is that having one timeline that can be changed allowed him to have different factions in 12 Monkeys who all want to alter the past to suit their own different agendas. If you could tell a story in which you rooted for both the heroes and the villains, because they both had a valid point about changing all that. Then I then I thought you had something really you could talk about, like that that your heart could break for both the villains, heroes that would turn on each other. You would understand those turns. That was really important to me that it didn't feel comic booky. That you knew the emotional reason they believed what they were doing was right, even though it had universal consequences. And he argues that time travel is one of the most emotional stories that you can tell because you can visit your own past or moments that are personally meaningful to you. The question you usually get when you're writing a time travel story or creating a time travel film or television show is, when would you go back in time if you could? And your first instinct is like, well, I'd go see dinosaurs or I'd go to the 50s or I'd go to a specific period of time. But I think if you really only had one shot at it, most people would pick a moment in their own lives in which they could see or talk to someone they love, either re-experience a moment or do it differently. And I think all good time travel stories usually have that component to it. You know, Marty McFly goes back and gets to see who his parents were. He gets to see their flaws. He gets to see their strengths. He gets to set them on a different journey. That's so interesting. So why does he think that you can't have those small personal stories of visiting your past without the need to just sort of mess around with history? You know, I feel like in a way those two things go hand in hand. Like you get the – you earn the right to do these like little personal emotional stories – by getting kind of outrageous and like freewheeling with with how you handle the past. And in the case of 12 Monkeys, you really saw this happening as the show went on. You know, having the freedom to to screw with, with the big moments in history allowed them to dig deeper into the small moments. And this culminates in season four, where one, you have one of my favorite moments in the show, where Jennifer Goines, the character who is played by Brad Pitt in the original movie, is singing Pink's anti-harassment anthem, you and your hand to Adolf Hitler 
while Cassandra Rayleigh is putting on a dominatrix outfit to gun down Nazis. That's when dickhead put his hands on me. But you see, I'm not here for your entertainment. You don't really want to mess with me. But around that same time, you also have the main character, James Cole, going back and meeting himself as a small child and witnessing the death of his own father. And here's Terry Metalis talking about how he struck that balance. We're going to have Jennifer Goins sing Pink to Adolf Hitler. Is this the jump the shark moment? And I, I, I you know, luckily, I, I don't I don't think it what people there were other moments that people might might point to. But it it, it felt like if we grounded as much as we could around that and then you did it, the whiplash wouldn't hurt. Oh my God, whoa. (laughs) That scene with the Pink song and Adolf Hitler, that's just, wow, that's wild. Yeah, and we'll put a a link to that clip in the show notes. And so Terry Metalis talked to me a lot about how in 12 Monkeys, they tried to balance these extreme tones, and it really is a matter of tone rather than like logistics or whatever. And part of what helped is that the show goes in a really intense horror direction at times. And there's actually a super creepy time-traveling cult that sends people on these scary drug trips. And Metellus felt like having that intense horror allowed him to also include extreme silliness as well as really profound, intense emotional beats. It always had that spirit, you know, that that anything can happen. Wow, that's so interesting. I, I've always loved the fact that horror can get together with comedy and make something even weirder. Mm-hmm. And early on, Metellus pushed back against the idea that this should just be a show about going back and trying to stop a plague from wiping out humanity, which is kind of the basic storyline. He wanted it to be bigger and more complicated and more emotional. And we talked a lot about whether you would want to go back and change history. So, for example, the COVID-19 pandemic didn't happen. Yeah. You know, I mean, COVID has cost us all so much. And it's, you know, it's a horrible thing that we've had to live through. But if there was no COVID, would we have not gotten some major advances in medical technology that we've we've gotten to take advantage of? What would be the unintended consequences of messing around with that piece of our past? And, you know, these kinds of questions get really thorny. But they're also really fascinating to play with. Yeah, they really are. And the thing is, is that there's also a political dimension to the question of whether we should be able to alter the past. It's really it's really a question about who gets to alter the status quo. Yeah, who gets to decide what history is? And I, I talked to Matalas about the fact that many people in real life right now feel as if the past is being altered. They look at stuff like the 1619 Project or moves Mm -hmm. to take down Confederate statues, and they feel as if history is actually being rewritten, even though many of us would argue that what's really happening is that history is being revealed. Well, for me, that that happened early on in school, where I, I just remember history books you'd have your history book version and then, you you know, for instance, you'd go and watch Mississippi burning. I'm clearly I'm a child of the eighties and one, one represented something much more horrific than, than your school time history book. Okay. So now Metalis has taken over as showrunner for season two of Star Trek Picard and the trailers so far show that Picard is traveling back in time to 2024 So what did he tell you about how 
the lessons he learned on 12 Monkeys are going to affect what he's doing in Picard. Okay, so it's pretty clear from the trailers and from our conversation that Picard's time travel story is a very different one than, than 12 Monkeys. In Picard, something has gone wrong in the timeline, causing the Federation to yet again become an authoritarian nightmare. This is like every 10 minutes. It's, they're just like, yeah, if the Federation, fascism is just taking over all the time. If the Federation has become an authoritarian nightmare, it must be Tuesday. <laughs> And so Picard has to go back and fix it, and he's the only one who can do this for various reasons. And so this is really more about restoring the status quo than, like, Mm. fixing, you know, things, changing things for the better. And here's what Matalas said about that. In this particular case, it's pretty bad, where they, it's a dire enough situation that, that this is probably a good idea. But, you know, he also stressed that the emotional aspect will remain front and center and that Picard will be confronting his own past, including his personal regrets, which is another way of going back in time. In this particular season, time travel, actual time travel and sort of time travel of the mind and heart are something that we investigate, that there, that time travel sort of exists with all of us, that there are moments in time that are so important to us for bad or good, that we will never, that change our lives fundamentally. We, every choice we make is a result of something that happened to us that our brain is stuck in a moment of time about, whether that is PTSD, whether that is love, regret. So that is something we explore. Yeah, that's so cool. But also, hasn't Star Trek always had a changeable timeline? Yes, and kind of no. I mean, early Star Trek stories emphasize that only certain people are important enough to make a difference to the timeline. In one early story, the Enterprise crew accidentally kidnaps a 1960s fighter pilot. And Spock says that this pilot has no historical significance, so they don't need to restore him to the timeline. They can just dump him somewhere. They and can, he gets you know, no Wikipedia entries. No Wikipedia not notable for John Christopher. <laughs> Um, And then luckily for him, it turns out there's a reason they do have to restore him after all. But in another story, Joan Collins plays a 1930s social worker who has a soup kitchen where she lectures people about starships. As you do. Yeah, like you do. That's a thing that (laughs) happened a lot in the 30s. Uh, Her death is essential to stopping Adolf Hitler, and and she has to die. It's really important. And so I asked Matalas about this, and he said that the new season of Picard— definitely comes down on the side of saying that seemingly unimportant people can actually have a huge impact on the timeline. Love that. And just a reminder that we'll be releasing more of my interview with Matalas, including his thoughts on the relationship between Q and Picard, as an audio extra on our Patreon. I cannot wait to understand Picard and Q and the depths of their feelings for each other. I know. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be talking to Keto Shimizu, showrunner of Legends of Tomorrow. Today, we want to talk about Side Note, the podcast hosted by Greg Brown and Mitchell Moffat of ASAP Science. Mitch and Greg are the co-creators of ASAP Science, a YouTube channel where they make science make sense. On their weekly podcast, Side Note, They explain the up-to-date science behind all kinds of stuff, such as how brain fog works, why the James Webb Space Telescope is so awesome, and it is really so awesome, and also whether eating ass is safe. 
They always ask the right questions, and they're incredibly fun to listen to. They go on hilarious tangents with comedians, celebrities, and experts to ensure that you are entertained while also learning a lot. Subscribe to Sidenote by ASAP Science wherever you get your podcasts. That way, if anyone asks what's happening in outer space or inside your brain, you can tell them. And so now we're incredibly lucky to be joined by Keto Shimizu, uh, who's written for Arrow and The Flash and has been the showrunner of Legends of Tomorrow for the past few years. Thank you so much for joining us, Keto. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so one of the things I love about Legends of Tomorrow is that it kind of adopted this motto of of screwing things up for the better is the thing that people often say in the show. And like, you know, where does that idea of like kind of messing with the timeline for good come from? And like, why do you have so much fun with that in the show? <laughs> well, first and foremost, we 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 love having fun on our show. Um, you know, we do believe that the times being that they what they are and people, you know, being confined to their homes or just not being able to live as fully as we'd all like, you know, it's important for us to be creating content that has joy and hope and, you know, not without its darkness, but really ultimately about overcoming that darkness. And the motto of screwing things up for the better really kind of came from the show's kind of own identity crisis that <laughs> happened at the at its start. And as we were getting into season three, you know, we introduced this uh, entity called the Time Bureau. And the right. Time Bureau was sort of the antithesis of our scrappy heroes. It was this, you know, well-constructed organization, very bureaucratic, very clean, very crisp, no mistakes allowed. And the legends really needed to shine through as the antithesis of all of that. And I, I actually think that's sort of the season where they really wholeheartedly embrace that, yes, we we 100% screw things up. But ultimately, we try to end up better than the place we began, even if it's a very bumpy road to get there and some things get broken. But hopefully, they're things that were meant to be broken, or at least recreated in a way that is better for more people. Yeah, even as far back as season one, there's like the Time Masters who are trying to control everything. And, and you know, Leonard Snart has to sacrifice himself to basically gain freedom to like have your own timeline and to generate your own destiny. So, you know, one of the things about Legends of Tomorrow is that it kind of was a spinoff to some extent of The Flash. And in The Flash, Barry Allen tries to go back in time and save, save his mother, which causes the Flashpoint alternate timeline. I wasn't in a great space, and I felt like the only way I could fix that was to run back in time and save my mom. You stopped the reverse Flash from killing your mom? Yeah. And it feels like the Flash constantly warns in every episode against going back and messing with the past in any way because it'll just cause problems. It's it's too difficult. It's too hard. Like, The Flash is very conservative in a weird way about changing the timeline. So what's it like going from that, like, super strict prohibition to more of a kind of anything-goes situation? Well, for me, you know, and, and I think for the writers on on our staff, and I think ultimately for the identity of the show— 
we have to live in that, in a version of anything goes, because otherwise we don't have a show. We are a show that is, you know, based on a group of people who travel through time and who are propelled to do that for X, Y, and Z. So if we were too conservative, we just wouldn't have a show. We wouldn't be able to do anything. (laughs) So there's, there's sort of the, the fundamental reason why that needs to happen on legends. But also I think it comes from our characters and our characters are people who are passionate and impulsive and they, you know, and badly want to make things better where they can. But our show is also this sort of cas- a cascading collection of obstacles that keep coming in front of our heroes. So we have, you know, one problem that the legends go and they fix, but in doing so, they create a new problem. Again, we need these story engines to perpetuate the continuation of the story. Um, otherwise, it would end. <laughs> and it's like, it's the timeline, the timeline was just dandy and nothing was going on. Then it'd be like, okay, guys, I guess we can all go home. Nobody wants that. Just dust off your jacket. Yeah. So, you know, it's, there's, there's the story reason for why both we have to be able to jump in there and, and do this stuff, but also we've, we've had to construct, you know, this ongoing set of problems that our, our heroes have to continually face involving time travel. Yeah, one of the things I really like is that even though the characters are able to change the timeline, especially when it comes to their own pasts, it's really hard. Like there was a whole arc where Zari is trying to find this loophole to save her brother Barad from dying, basically. And it's really tough. Like, it's not like she's just like, boop, I went back and like, now everything's fine. It feels like it's harder when it comes to these sort of personal or emotional changes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like why you guys decided to make that part of what you write about is how people are changing their past and what that's like? Well, ultimately, it has to cost you something. You know, it has Mm -hmm. to you know, if it was so easy for us to just go and edit our own lives, like there wouldn't be any growth. There wouldn't be any um, evolution of us as human beings and certainly not for our characters. And our characters are all about that journey. They're all about that growth. And that's one of the reasons why we're so drawn to, you know, the most difficult nuts to crack um, and bring them onto the ship because then it's such a wonderful journey to be on as we slowly peel down those layers and get into the heart of what that person is about and what they're struggling with and, and giving them that wonderful place to move towards and becoming a part of this found family. So yeah, it has to, it has to be hard. It has to, otherwise what's the point? You know, it's, 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 that's not where our show lives. It, it, it has to perpetuate this growth um, and for Zari in particular, that was a multiple season journey for her. She didn't do that even in just one season. And yeah. same with Amaya. It took a couple seasons for her to, mm-hmm. to resolve this. And that was that's really important to us, especially for Zari, because her fundamental journey was about letting go of her own involvement in saving her brother. She literally mm-hmm. had to sit it out, you know, and, right. and then, you she know, she was like, she had to stay on the ship. And then because she couldn't, she couldn't stay out, 
you know, she, she ended up sort of unwriting her own, her own uh, place because she had to be there. She had to be there. And that was sort of like the last test. It was like, she loved Nate so much. She had to go be there for him in that moment. Yeah. It it was really about her understanding that she had to trust other people to step in and make this thing happen in order to undo the horrible world that she came from, Um, which included, of course, her brother, Berard, and her parents dying. So yeah, you know, that was, that was Zari's growth. She went from being a total loner who didn't trust or let anybody in to someone who would let a bunch of crazy people put on this insane (laughs) show to make the world more tolerant, like, which is just bonkers. Like, again, if, if Zari had heard that that was going to be the solution to making her world a better place when she first met the legends, she would be like, pass, hard pass. Yes. <laughs> no. yeah, I am no. not getting on that ship with y'all. Like, that's insane. <laughs> it's really true. And speaking of Zari, I feel like a major turning point in how Legends of Tomorrow deals with time travel is when Zari is supposed to take Helen of Troy home to the to basically to the Trojan War, but she's just like, oh, I'm going to take you to the Amazons instead. Okay. According to the historical record, you disappeared halfway through the war, but that didn't affect the war itself. So, I found you a loophole. Same time that you're from, just a different place. Huh. Hacked history. (laughs) Do do you feel like that's the moment where it's kind of proved that it's possible to change history as long as you're surgical or careful or, or whatever? Yeah, that was a really important moment in our show where we wanted to to open the door to how we could make these edits and make these small changes that wouldn't completely overthrow the timeline and set everything, mm-hmm. you know, in, into chaos, but would make someone's life better where where the legends could allow that to happen. And uh, yeah, so that was that was a, that was a big moment for us and something that we've continued to try to take opportunities to do whenever we can. Um, And then it's like, okay, you know, taking the focus sometimes away from the big moments in history and the big people to, you know, how can we make this one person or this one family or something, you know, their life just a little bit better um, and not completely overturn the apple cart. Um, So yeah, that's, that's something we really wanted to start doing at that moment and have continued to try and do. So um, we often joke on this show that time travel is a very gay subgenre, and uh, we're just wondering, is it a coincidence that as, you know, the legends have been taking, you know, more of a cavalier attitude toward changing history, that the show has also become a lot more explicitly inclusive of a lot of sexual minorities, including now we even have an asexual character uh, alongside our, you know, lesbian, bisexual, gay heroes. Is it? I didn't know that. I didn't know that time travel was considered a gay subgenre. But <laughs> well, it might be a pet theory of it's ours. Only, okay, it's only okay, that's, 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 that. that's specific to you. Got it. Okay, but I, <laughs> I love mean, it. I love that. I'm like, I, feel, oh, I cool. mean, to be fair, one of the most famous time travel novels is The Man Who Folded Himself. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. it is. It's it does. It, it's not oh, that it goodness. doesn't come up a lot. You know, it's like, and also like Doctor Who has gotten more queer over the years, and like. So there's something there, and but we're not really sure what it is. So we just thought we'd ask no, you and see what you thought. 
No, it's it's very interesting. I mean, I think for us, it really has become a matter of representation and and having these positive portrayals of characters who who identify these ways. Because for us, you know, there there are several writers, myself included, who identifies bisexual, and so it's like we want to see that on screen. We want to tell those stories. And we want to have characters who are well-rounded and complicated and flawed, you know, also have this piece of them as part of their character, but not defining that character. Like that's always been very important to us is that that's not the label that you first see when you see Ava Sharp. That's probably not the first thing you think of. You're thinking, okay, she's type A. She's uh, very organized. She's a little nuts about cleanliness. You know, she, um, (laughs) you know, she's incredibly loyal, incredibly strong, like a badass boss. Um, And she's a lesbian, you know, that's, and, but that's like, not the defining thing about her character. And, you know, as so often you see in these shows that like, that is sort of the first thing you know about this person is like, they'll yeah. practically come on screen and be like, by the way, I'm gay. And you're like, oh, <laughs> okay, but like, oh what's God. your voice? What's your childhood trauma? Like, what's your, you know, like are there are all these other clone? questions. Are you, are you Yeah. Yeah. And are, are you alien? Like, you know, there, there's so many questions that we would ask first. And are you, were you last season's villain? Cause then you're definitely coming on board with us. But like, <laughs> you know, you know, but it is, you know, I, again, for us, having having these wonderful characters who we adore so much and who we try so hard to give so, you know, multiple layers of depth to, to also have that their sexuality is is X. You know, it for us, that's that's very important, you know, and to have a character who is beloved also have this thing about them, I think, is is a more effective means of representation than yeah. having the giant glowing letters above them being like, <laughs> you know, gay. <laughs> Every time they walk around like a sparkly yeah. rainbow kind of trail yeah. behind them. <laughs> yeah. 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 So one of the things I love about the current season of Legends of Tomorrow is that it's kind of making it explicit that there's a kind of cruelty in not being able to change the past. You have these these evil robots who are kind of snarling about like, oh, they helped this singer to not die. Oh, they integrated this factory early. They're terrible. They saved people from Chernobyl. Guys, if we don't stop this, all these people, they're going to live. Why is that a cruel thing to like not be able to go back and kind of make things a little bit better for the people who've been trampled on by history? For us, it really came down to, you know, two very different approaches to interacting with the past. One comes from this very strict and sort of, uh, you know, again, by the book, uh, and almost fascist outlook on what has come before and what has been recorded and what is, mm. you know, the definitive, quote unquote, <laughs> recorded uh-huh. history. What is the timeline supposed to look like? How do we keep this safe? And it's a very rigid and unbending outlook to, you know, both the world and this work that they have to do. So that's, you know, where where Evil Gideon and where the robots are coming from is this, this just very rigid and, and 
unable to evolve, you know, view of how things are supposed to be. And we wanted to contrast that with who our legends are, which are a group of people who have evolved, you know, and who (laughs) exist to change and to grow and to be challenged. And the, you know, people come, people leave, people, you know, they they have their their story arcs and then they're done and then someone else comes it's like that we especially in this season where we had our 100th episode really wanted to celebrate how far this ship and this group of people have come since that first episode and if they were as rigid and as unbending as you know as evil gideon slash the robots were we would never have gotten this far and a lot of that has to do with these characters opening their hearts and being vulnerable and accepting their own faults and hypocrisies and and challenging themselves in these in these really big ways um, in order to get to where we have gotten. And we liked that a lot of that, you know, comes from these interactions with people in the timeline and with situations and with, you know, with points in time where we've had to take these massive risks in order to help somebody else, you know, uh, to, to put someone else above yourself. And that is of just, it's a very compassionate approach to traveling through time. And it just feels so, so much more interesting. And certainly for, for, us and the sort of stories that we want to tell, celebrating those qualities of a hero, uh, you know, that someone is emotional and can really connect with people and identify a situation where they could make something better um, and to do it, uh, regardless of whether that is how it was supposed to be or not. And our characters are really people who when faced with in situations like that are not going to be able to ignore an opportunity where they can make someone's life better. Um, They're just not. And that's, those are the types of people we want to write and to celebrate. Yeah, that's so awesome. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, another really interesting thing that happened this season, which has to do with the idea of the fixed point in history. Um, And there's been a lot of talk in the show, and I think this is a larger trope in time travel stories, that there are certain fixed points in history that you just can't change. Like, you can't kill Mm -hmm. Hitler because even if you try to go back and your gun will jam or, like, you'll slip on a banana peel— Um, Or, you know, if you try to prevent the outbreak of World War One in this case. Mm -hmm. Um, So what what I thought was so great is that we had this episode where all these time travelers are trying to prevent World War One from happening by intervening in this one specific incident. And instead of having it be that some there's some kind of temporal force out there that's just going to stop you. Right. Like that's just going to, like I said, make you slip on the banana peel. You guys wrote it so that actually it's this white dude in a top hat who's kind of slipping in and preventing people from changing the timeline. And I'm wondering um, just if you could just talk about that and why you wanted to kind of poke holes in that trope in particular, the fixed point trope. In a lot of ways, it was to open up our mythology because we had, you know, back 
back in season two or something, Rip say very definitively, you know, blank is a fixed point. You cannot go there. You can absolutely not do that. You know, and as he really shuts <laughs> yes. down this notion Rip. of like anytime, <laughs> like if there's a fixed point, just stay the F away. Like don't mm-hmm. do it. And, you know, so we shut it down. You know, we just said, okay, there are these giant moments in time and they are forbidden. There are no fly zones. You cannot do not just don't go, don't engage. And yeah. the legends have been sort of operating under that assumption ever since. If something's sort of labeled fixed point, it's like, okay, okay, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go there. And they haven't really had to go there to these places. You know, they've been drawn to all these other sort of smaller, but you know, still important events that they've had to steer back on course. For us, you know, this notion that time could heal itself is a little constrictive because then what have we been doing for seven years? I'm sorry. Like if it was really going to be okay without us, then like, why, why have we been going through all this trouble? Um, and, time is like cement. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, there's that too, which is like the hand wavy, like, please don't dig into this too much, you know? <laughs> but, yeah. um, we really, yeah, we just really wanted to open up this notion of like, why do we not go to fixed points and who controls them? And, you know, we liked that initially you think, yes, this is time fixing itself because this <laughs> moment is is that important. And, you know, that's that you just have to accept that. Um, but you know, we wanted, of course, to have the legend spin on it, which is like, no, it's not actually time fixing itself. Time is just a thing. It's like you could mess it up and it would be messed up. However, you know, we wanted to to set up that there's this, this other organization at work here, that they put these fixers in these places to make sure that nothing ever changes in these particular moments. So it's like a, a residency, you know, for, for <laughs> superheroes. And you're stuck there and you do it, you know? So that's that's why we had Thawne, you know, as, as our fixer in this case, be the person who's, you know, running out a, a, a sentence for, you know, his, his own crimes against the timeline in this way um, by being a fixer in this location and reliving this day over and over and over again. Um, we thought it was really a fun thing to set up and something that we can, you know, poke holes, more holes at, at the end of this season and into the next, um, you know, these questions of like, oh, who's, who put these people here and who else is, is out there, you know, um, yeah. doing, uh, doing this particular job. So yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons I think why it felt right to, to move past that trope in our show, but largely it's, it's for more story. Yeah. So first of all, my heart just did a little happy dance because you said the words into the next season, which is something <laughs> that I've been waiting to hear news about. I'm like, look, we, we, we don't have news. And that's the truth. Like, again, I, I wish so badly that we at least knew that that oh, season eight was going to happen. We don't. We we literally don't. We're still no. We're in, gonna in like weird bubble. We're still in the bubble. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do an old school like sending packets of peanuts to people campaign. <laughs> um, yeah. So final question before we let you go. Thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Final question. So when we talked to Terry Metalist from like Star Trek Picard, he kind of talked about like 
time travel of the heart and mind and people kind of revisiting their own past just through thinking about them, but also through like going back. And, you know, obviously you have this season, you have the story of Gwyn, who's the inventor of time travel, and it's all about his PTSD and grief, and it's beautifully handled. What are the kinds of emotional stories that time travel allows us to tell? And how is time travel kind of a metaphor for confronting our own past? I think time travel stories, if done well, will always be deeply emotional. You know, I think that it's such a, a wish fulfillment in a way, but also a wonderful pall of like doom and dread if you're if you do it another way, mm-hmm. um, depending on which way you're looking. And I think that it's again, I, I think it's it is always a metaphor or it should be, you know, for your own story and being able to revisit moments or even revisiting moments deep in the past. Like, I mean, one of my favorite movies of all time is Back to the Future. And that's exactly what Mm -hmm. that's about. You know, I think that for us, one of the reasons we spend so much time traveling into the past as opposed to going to the future is, first of all, the genres are way more fun being in the past, but yeah. but also because they're they're just deeply emotional. You know, it really you really get to explore these wonderful issues of of identity and you know your forefathers and your you know mistakes and your losses and and things like that that you know are just such compelling storytelling devices and, you know, aspects of a person. So I think for us, if a story doesn't emotionally impact one of our characters, then we're not going to tell it. You know, we're not going to go to, you know, a particular point in time just because it's a cool genre and we want to do that genre. It's like, okay, if we do go here, how does that affect our characters or our a character? If we, you know, if we just want to focus on one, and why? Are, why is it important? Why are we here? And what does this particular genre reveal about a character, or or how does it challenge a character? So I think, f- you know, for for legends, it's always about the emotion. That's where every story begins. It's the emotional journey, or the emojo, as we call it, as we're breaking. <laughs> emojo. Oh, oh my god. That is that's a that's a term we we coined on Arrow. You know, back when I was on Arrow, um, and you know, I'm going to take it across every show I ever ever show on because it's it's it really is the heart of every every story of every episode. And, you know, in our case, since we have so many characters, we often have multiple emojos for, (laughs) Oh my God. But, but, you know, it is about like, okay, that's where, that's where the building bricks of every, every story that we do starts. So, um, yeah, I think time travel in our case is completely entwined with, you know, emotional growth. Wow. Well, I'm going to start using the word emojo all the time now. That's like just. <laughs> I'm going to use like emojo YOLO. <laughs> no, no, you're not. No, you're okay, not. Sorry. That is, that not is now happen. illegal. That is not happening. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us, Kato. Um, can you just tell our listeners where people can find you online? Oh, sure. Um, I am on Twitter occasionally <laughs> at uh, <laughs> KE. Uh, I'm at K-E-T-O-M-I-Z-U, uh, also on Instagram, which I do more often because I take lots of pictures of my baking projects and my children and various other things. Uh, but yeah, that's, Love that's that. Where I am. 
Cool. Yay. Well, Thanks thank again. you so much. This was wonderful and have a great weekend and everything. Thank you. You too. And fingers crossed for season eight. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes, fingers we need crossed. the emojo. <laughs> we, we need it so badly. Oh my God. <laughs> So finally, we wanted to answer a question from one of our amazing Patreon supporters. If you're supporting us at the $10 level or above, you can ask us questions and we'll answer them on the podcast. Here's a question from Christina Taylor Berry. Christina writes, if you were the subject of experimentation by aliens, what rights or protections would you want to limit their transgressions? That's such an interesting question because, you know, of course... There's no law like governing aliens. There, there's no, there could be interplanetary law for all we know. There could be like a law in space that governs like what you're allowed to do with people that you kidnap from less sophisticated <laughs> planets. But, you know, this isn't really a question of law. It's a question of ethics in a way. And, you know, obviously I'd like to not be kidnapped by aliens unless, unless they were really cool and they were going to take me someplace really interesting. But the experimentation part is kind of a no, is, is like a deal breaker for me. It has to be consensual, right? Like yeah. I love, the thing I love about this question is that it kind of assumes that there is some kind of interstellar or interplanetary body that would be regulating alien experimentation. Or that you can have a contract that the aliens are like, we're going to experiment on you. Here's the, you know, well, let's negotiate. Yeah. Like almost like negotiating like a scene in like a, a, a BDSM scenario. Like we're, we're going to experiment on you, but you can negotiate with us about like, and you know, I mean, maybe there's a thing where it's like they want to like feed you chocolate for for like a day and they'll they'll take you to a different planet at the end of it. And it's like, well, okay, how much chocolate am I willing to eat and how nice of a planet am I going to go to, you know? <laughs> I also think that um, we kind of have a model for this at a lot of universities. Right. There's a, you know, um, human research subjects board. Um, <laughs> there is. And it's a review board that looks at any experiment that's being done on humans because, of course, how did we get the idea that aliens might experiment on us? Huh, it might be because humans have been experimenting on each other for a really long time. As, yeah. as we often point out, uh, science fiction is really about the present. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, a lot of these fantasies about alien experimentation really crop up during the Cold War after the revelations about Nazi experiments during World War II and revelations um, later about the Tuskegee experiments that right. U.S. doctors did on black people um, who had been diagnosed with venereal disease and they decided not to give them penicillin just to see what would happen. Um, that's the Tuskegee experiments, <laughs> most notably not done by Nazis, but just regular Americans um, or maybe yeah. Nazi Americans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, oh. Yeah, not great. Um, in fact, horrible. And so I think that, you know, we have these fantasies that aliens will come and do that to us. And then we, of course, in the real world, have invented these review boards um, mm -hmm. to prevent things like the Tuskegee experiment and lots of other terrible experiments. Yeah, and of course, I mean, it's just like H.G. Wells when he wrote War of the Worlds. He was imagining aliens doing to us what we've been doing to each other, and that's like the common thing. You know, I mean, when we lived in Boston in the early 2000s, when, when Annalie, when you were at MIT, we used to see these ads on the subway for like these things where it was like brain studies where they would like, yes. you know, they would study. <laughs> basically, you would be locked in a room for days and like not allowed to sleep. And like I had friends who actually signed up for these things because it's like I get 50 bucks for just going someplace and being studied. And then it's like, oh, actually, they're not going to let you sleep for three days. They're going to like make you eat a lot of weird stuff. They're going to like 
poke you and prod you. And it's like actually a really, it's actually a, a tough 50 bucks to earn, I think. Mm-hmm. And I Although actually, to be fair, some of them did pay a little bit more than 50 yeah, bucks. I think it really did. depended on the experiment. But yeah, it would be like Harvard University seeks people who are willing to not sleep for four days. I mean, but the thing is they would never say in the little ad what the experiment was. Like I had friends who were like, oh, it sounds like it's really easy. And then they'd show up and it would be like, yeah, we're going to just like suspend you from the ceiling, <laughs> you know, by your ankles for like a month. And like, you know. and Luckily, I, the IRB said that was fine. <laughs> I feel like in the Boston area in like 2002, Boston University, Harvard, a bunch of these other places were just like doing a ton of these. It was weird. Anyway, so the point is I would want informed consent. Me too. I would want the aliens. I would want payment, which I, I'm now fixated on this idea of just like drop me on a really cool planet that's not Earth. Like because, you know, I've seen a lot of this planet. I'd like to see a different one. Um, so, you know, I'm willing, aliens, if you're listening to this, I am willing to negotiate with you about a reasonable course of experimentation that ends with me going to live on a really cool planet. <laughs> just, you know, just putting that out there. Well, as long as you can get back, I don't want you to go live on I mean, you can planet. come with me. <laughs> I don't know. Also, my cat I has to know. come with me. Yeah, I would miss, um, I would miss coffee. I feel like that, that might be an Earth-only thing. Um, so, yeah, I think we need an institutional review board. We do. We need we do. Um, an interplanetary or even intergalactic panel that reviews this stuff. Uh, and also... The experiment needs to be clearly stated. Mm-hmm. It can't be Informed like, consent. oh, we're going to put you in a warm room and it turns out that the room will have no gravity and so you'll be barfing for four days. Um, it needs to be very, very clear. So I guess the answer is yes, we're willing to do experiments as long as it is as long as Sign there's good up. oversight. Yeah, so thank you, Christina, and thanks to anyone else who's supporting us at the $10 or more level. You can pop your questions in on Patreon, and we will answer them as best we can if we know the answer. Yay! So we're at the end of another episode of Our Opinions Are Correct, or are we at the end? Possibly we're just going to loop back and this episode will repeat endlessly. I mean, in some kind of Groundhog podcast scenario. And we'll just keep re-recording it over and over again. You never know. things have happened. (laughs) But we think this is the end of the episode. And, you know, if you just randomly found us, you can find this podcast in any place that podcasts are found. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. It makes a huge difference. And, you know, like we mentioned at the start, you can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash ouropinionsarecorrect and on Twitter at OOACpod. Thanks so much to the valiant, the the un- indefatigable, the incredible Veronica Simonetti, our engineer, who you know has been just heroically struggling with Pro Tools today. Thanks to <laughs> Women's Audio Mission, where we record this episode. And thanks to Chris Palmer to the music. And thanks once again to you for listening. Thank you. And we'll we'll talk to you. We'll be back in two weeks. Or if you're a patron, we'll see you on Discord. Yeah. Bye. Bye.